In the first days when the gates of heaven fell, they emerged. Conjured from torment, fire and ruin, they were ravenous. Unceasing in their hunger as they cleansed the city of both the living and the dead. As the countless innocents fell, the demons erected a new kingdom with bones of the fallen. Harvesting despair and agony to birth an ocean of desolation. But they did not spread forth unopposed. Surrounding the doomed metropolis was a wall of steel, flesh, and will. Those unyielding shadows of man who held the battlements against the horde. Under the burning sun, they culled the scores of the wretched, those condemned souls possessed by this devil's seed. And under the cursed moon, the desperate guardians held back the horror, the tides of the dark infinite as the dragons crashed against the shores of earth. David Krug first arrived in the outskirts of Shanghai, he felt the luckiest man alive. He would be the first journalist to enter the dark zone surrounding the city ever since the incident. When the gatekeeper station blew up over the skies of the city a month ago, the Chinese government turned the area into a black site, expending every favour he had ever been granted, a seat into a military resupply flight into the area. Selfishly, all I could think of was how this story would set him up for life. That was until he encountered the young boy shortly after landing. Little did David know that the first words of his story would be penned in this child's blood. He persuaded the sergeant tasked with escorting him to bring the boy along with him back to the wall. The boy never made it that far. What came next would forever haunt the journalist echoing in his mind for as long as he lived. The sounds of the child's screams as blood sprayed out from his mouth all while David did what little he could to help the boy. His helplessness as the sergeant tore the youth from his embrace, dragging him to the door while he choked and convulsed before throwing him out of the vehicle. Right before shooting him in the head and incinerating the corpse with a flamethrower. David watched, numb by shock and horror, as the flames licked away the body, as his skin crackled and blistered until something serpentine snapped the fragile ribs and burst through the charred skin. 
screeching as it burned alive in its cradle. They left the boy's corpse to burn to ashes in the road, and as they drove on towards the wall, David couldn't imagine those in his worst nightmares what he would soon come to see. A place barren of hope, manned by the damned to banish their humanity during the day and held back the tides of hell once night fell. I remember as a child how war was presented to me. Like most children, my first experience of war was through film. Those scripted pieces of supposed art that were as naive as I was. Where the hero vanquished scores of enemies without so much as a scratch before setting off into the sunset. Oh, how I admired those heroes when I was young and ignorant to the real nature of war. In reality, war was a different beast unceasing in its power to turn everything beautiful into ruin and decay. The movies didn't teach you how someone's insides look when they're ripped apart, and how they scream as their legs are blown off, and how grown men piss themselves in fear of that final agonizing breath. physically show my despair anymore. My throat was ripped apart from the violent bouts of vomiting and all that was left were agonizing dry wretches. Every effort to breathe was filled with ripping wheels that I had no control over. I struggled to even open my bloodshot eyes behind thin rails of skin. The orbs pulsed with each heartbeat as it ascended to panic and heights. We were drawn ever closer to the wall. From a position in the rear of the armoured vehicle, I couldn't physically see the deserted streets outside. The unsettling quiet, the roads barren of their former vitality when the city's residents hurried along in their daily struggle to make ends meet. Yet something within me, some primal instinct from eons of evolution sent dread flooding through my body screaming at me to turn away from this path, to run as fast and as far as I could from my destination. Yet there was no way back. My journey was taking me forward through a darkness I could never imagine. I was a passenger in this mechanized procession down the river Styx. So I lay there, my body weightless against the chassis, feeling every inch of terrain, the wheels rolled over inside my weakened gut. I saw Takami, the sergeant leading my escort, murder a child. A child. Is this is a cost of war. We're lost. Yet as that boy's body burned, I saw the blood-covered serpent break its way out of his chest. What was going on here? We're here, Sivvy. It's time to go. I know you're no stranger to war zones. You've seen death before, you'll see it again. Now get up before I have to drag you out of this vehicle. What 
I saw wasn't war. That boy wasn't a combatant. You murdered him and burnt his body like with nothing but meat. Yes, I murdered him. I'd have done it a lot sooner if I knew he was a carrier. What you saw was nothing compared to what's been happening here over the past two weeks. You're right, this isn't war. This is something else. Everyone here has innocent blood on their hands. And we're all well aware of it. All that I ask is that you don't judge us until you know what's going on here. He slung his arms under my own and raised me up on his steady legs before reaching for the handgun left ownerless in the seat beside mine. Picking up the pistol, he wiped the slide against his trouser leg, leaving a bloody smear in his camouflage fatigues. Takumi then held it forward towards me. Are you ready to do what you came here to do? All I could do was nod as I reached for the gun. He made the effort to lock his eyes at the mine before letting go of the weapon. Just remember what I told you. There's 15 rounds in the magazine. Leave one for yourself, just in case. Suicide is a hell of a lot better than ending up like that boy. You got a head cam? I had completely forgotten my original purpose in being here. Rummaging through my pack, I found a small device attached to a head strap and pulled it on. The first images it recorded were of where I had just been sitting. The floor around it was covered with bloodied vomit and spent bullet cases. I decided already that none of this footage was getting edited out. I wanted it as raw as I felt it. With another word, we exited the APC, and the first thing that hit me was the smell. Initially, the scent made me think of cooking meat, and I thought of the boy's body burning, the smell of skin, muscle, and fat being burnt off the bone. It was more than a scent, it was an ambient, greasy aroma that clung to my clothes, sinking into the fibres. No amount of washing would ever erase it. I couldn't yet see the source. But I saw the billowing smoke rising up to the sky, overshadowed by the wall. The captain said it was one of the greatest feats of human engineering ever accomplished. Damn thing goes all the way south to Jinshan and up northern Jadine. Over a hundred kilometers of solid steel, 12 feet thick. Don't ask me how they did it. We were all too busy fighting for our lives slipping in each other's blood to look back. We exited the vehicle a couple of blocks away from the wall. We couldn't have made it any further without running over the dozens of portable structures that littered the streets. Covering every piece of ground that they could, tents, containers, vehicles and other shelters were erected around a singular building, a hospital. I couldn't make out any more of the area due to the crowds of soldiers that stood in formation under the shadow of the wall. These were the new arrivals that I had flown in with and they looked just as nervous as I felt. Every head was turned high towards a single figure standing in a balcony resisting in the upper floors of the hospital. 
The figure's distorted voice rang out through the quiet streets as Takami led me past the crowds of these virgins of war, yet to be bloodied in battle. Listening to the new commanding officer, I could only catch the ending of his speech when it was enough for me to grasp the magnitude and desperation of what was going on here. Make no mistake, we are under siege by a horrific and monstrous enemy. That fear you feel is natural, but you will have to fight it as hard as you fight these abominations, because they will most assuredly usher you into the grave. Those who run will be shot on sight. Those who run further will be tracked down and hanged. It was then that I recognized what was hanging from the ropes hanging high in the wall. The bodies were hung sequentially, so as to spread the message as far as possible. I'd come to find out later that being hung wasn't the worst of it. The executed deserters were called by the older surviving soldiers as either breakers or swingers. The breakers were the lucky ones whose neck snapped instantly as the rope snapped tight upon reaching its length. The swingers survived the drop and suffered through suffocation and cerebral hypoxia until their eyes bulged out their sockets from the noose around their necks. The sight of their purple, bloated faces and unnaturally distended tongues seemed to add to the stench of rot and settling ways. It horrified me that I didn't feel the disgust that I knew I should have felt all the time. It seemed that the boy had driven the weakness out of me. His death allowed me to continue on without being inconvenienced by shock. For now, although, at least, it wouldn't last long. I look at you all, and I feel an immense pride that I've been blessed to command you brave young souls. Now show me that pride isn't unjustified, and let's take back this city from the enemy! Those kids haven't even completed basic training yet. Most of them won't survive the night. Why are you bringing in raw recruits? Where's your navy? Why wouldn't your government disclose what's even going on here? Those are questions better left for the captain when you meet him. You should try and persuade him if he's not one running the shit show. These troops are suffering under the cruel beast known as war. Some return my glances within their own, their eyes visibly absent of something vital to being human. All I can tell you is that most of our Navy is out of the system on deployment. How would I give for an assault carrier or a destroyer? Just one could change things here. Yet here we are fighting an enemy more dangerous than anything we've ever faced with reservists and recruits. <coughs> Here are old men and children who've never fired their weapons in anger. I figure we'll last a few more days if the attacks keep going at this rate. Anything bigger, we're fucked. As we reached the corner of the next street, the same smell of burning meat grew stronger. One second it was noticeable, the next it was nauseating. If I hadn't been so violently sick earlier, that would have been soon enough. In front of us marched a procession of soldiers, clad in full body overalls with gas masks covering their faces, robbing them of all appearances of individuality. 
They were only mechanisms in a larger machine. What they carried hammered home to me any sense of humanity that died here. In pairs, they shared the burdens of fellow humans, at least what was recognisable as human. The bodies they carried were still smoking. The clothes they once wore were stripped by ignited fuel, leaving their naked bodies covered in hideous burns and blisters. Others had the skin seared from their bodies, leaving the muscle tissue and stark white of exposed bone visible. The convoy of industrialised, faceless carnage continued on down the empty street to a right, towards a black smouldering pile of corpses. It was near unrecognisable apart from the limbs protruding outward, breaking the mound's silhouette as the bodies seemed to reach out from death. Once each pair reached the mound, they unceremoniously tossed the bodies into the pile. <laughs> Even in such a damaged state, some still retained recognising features. One was clearly the body of a young woman. Half her face had survived the roaring flames. The other half was ravaged until the skull and empty eye socket were exposed. A single patch of long, thick black hair remained rooted to her scalp. Her remaining eyes stared into the, my very soul as her charred carcass passed me by. It sent a cold and unclean feeling crawling down my spine. It was like the filth of this place was trying to take up residence inside me, like some sort of parasite. Priority one, containment at all costs. If a carrier is discovered in one of the pens, procedure is to incinerate all inside. We can't afford a single one of those things past the perimeter. I was at a loss so many things, but the most alarming was the sergeant's apparent indifference to what had just occurred. How many times has he seen this ghoulishness? How much suffering and death had it taken to make him so jaded? As he finished speaking, the haunted figure that lit the fire walked towards us, his eyes invisible behind the thick lenses of his gas mask. The figure pulled the heavy mask off to reveal feminine features, her smooth skin stained with smoke and grime. It only served to heighten the ferocity in her eyes as she flashed me a look of curiosity. Pen 7. Yeah. Old guy came in last night with a small party. Somehow skipped the scan. Some of the teams have been talking today. Think it's about time for the priest to go. She kept flashing me looks. I knew I didn't belong here, but that didn't stop her cold and comfortable glances from reminding me. Well, about fucking time. What happened? Tried to turn one of the flamers on us when we torched the pen. Uh, who's this? She nodded towards me, she lit a cigarette. The lighter in her hands were spattered with dots of blood. The familiar scent of cigarette smoke was a reprieve from the torched flesh that filled my lungs. The addiction I had abolished was rearing its ugly head. The pathetic need to feel it burn my throat like an old friend, feeding me that sweet nicotine. Damn it, this wasn't the place for manners, but my brain foolishly thought otherwise and my hand shot out automatically. I paused as I remembered my hand was a mirror image of hers, dotted with the life force of another. 
It always seemed like a precious commodity. Yeah, here it was. Its value was cheaper than the stench filled air I breathed. I kept forgetting the blood-drenched state of my appearance. It felt like the sickness of the place was slowly infecting me. Looks like you already got your hands dirty, David. Maybe it was just paranoia, but the way she said my name unnerved me. Like I wouldn't live long enough for her to actually make an effort to remember my name. Takumi looked towards me, checking my body from head to toe. I can only imagine how bad I looked. I didn't know whether the smell was coming from me or from everything else around me. My clothes didn't feel as wet anymore as the blood and the bile dried into the synthetic fabrics. My boy missed the transports. We were going to bring him back here, but uh, he started birthing an embryo on the way back. Jesus. Inside the vehicle? I had to throw him from the vehicle. Finish him off quick. You better get back up there. They're bound to have a go soon after losing one of the embryos. Been nearly a half hour and still nothing yet, but... Yeah, you're right. Without a word, she bypassed me and headed straight for the wall as we continued in our path towards the hospital. Closer, the smell of the burning body started to replace by a pungent odour. I couldn't hope to describe the severity of what I smelled, but it set my tortured stomach on edge once more. The hospital itself wasn't particularly large. If anything, it looked like more—it looked more like a typical clinic lacking any separate entrance for emergency casualties. Three stories high, its white exterior was clouded black with smoke stains. The entrance was facing east towards the wall and as we turned the corner to reach it, I saw where they kept the survivors. Set in a single row going on for as long as I could see the wall were multitudes of high roof pens, built like cages with thick steel bars built over chain link wire each one housing maybe 30 to 40 refugees. I honestly couldn't get an accurate count. They were so crammed in, living on top of each other in a state of squalor that sickened me. What I smelled was the pungent odour of human waste, disease and death. These poor people would survive whatever horror lay beyond the wall only be treated worse than cattle. Herded into these pens where they were forced to live in each other's filth. A subtle chorus of lamenting wailing whispered through this side of the wall. A haunting air of melancholy that haunted everyone it reached, consuming any desperate grasp of positivity like a vampire. I now understood why their companions in suffering had acted the way they had back at the landing site. They seemed no longer human. Turned feral through torment and the primal necessity of survival. Almost on cue, soldiers surrounded the pens and my heart sank. At first I thought they were going to shoot them, but what came next was perhaps worse. The soldiers started throwing foil packets of food rations inside the pens. 
There was no sense of control or order as the civilians threw themselves at each other with abandon like starved beasts. That same waiting I'd heard before, it was replaced by screaming, guttural snarls and shrieks that pierced the seemingly quiet atmosphere around the area. Yet none of the troops seemed to be concerned. Just like this depravity was the norm here. Tsukami didn't seem phased by the sight whatsoever as he walked back to force my frozen form forward. He never took his arm off me while escorting me inside. I took one last look at the men, women and children scrapping for a morsel of food only to finally see the still forms leaning against the cage walls. The ones that didn't survive the disgusting melee for sustenance. Finally in the hospital I noticed the smells were being combated by the sterilising agent stored inside. Giving rise to a war of scents were all was just as equally horrid. Just by the door was a high mirror. I imagine that before all this some pretty women must have used it to check her hair and makeup before going out to see the doctor about something trivial. Now I gazed at myself, barely recognising the look in my eyes. Not even recoiling in the dark stain marring my clothing. I haven't even been here a day and already this place was changing me. Takami made a move to force me on once more. Without thinking, I smacked his grip away, turning towards him without rage boiling over my throat. Do you even stop to think what it might be like for those people in here? Jesus Christ! I cried out, turning in the spot, trying to move away from some of the thoughts raging inside me before I knew it was on the ground. The strike wasn't hard enough to knock me unconscious, I didn't doubt the sergeant could have he tried, but through some twisted mercy it helped me let me focus back on him. I was feeling something different than rage, but it was muted the second I met his eyes. One wrong move and he would kill me without punishment, or even so as much as a 30 second thought. I had to guard the wall while my wife and two kids suffered in those pens, so you don't fucking dare get righteous on me. I don't think you've yet grasped the severity and scale of what's going on here. But you will. We're undermanned, undersupplied. Those rations, those are ours. We can't ship in extra supplies for them because we can't fit it in amongst all the ordnance we need. And we can't simply let them go either. Because sooner or later, a carrier is going to be amongst them. And then we're all fucking dead. We are suffering too. Want to come see? Huh? Want to write some notes while you're at it? Take some video for your fucking bullshit story? I didn't see another one. I couldn't. I simply followed him through and realised exactly what he meant once we entered the wards. The smell of blood crashed against me like an aura materialised into force, and as far as my eyes could see, lay the injured dead and dying. Medically trained personnel rushed around in a constant, frantic speed between patients. Their plastic aprons crisscrossed with crimson smears. 
no bed was empty and when the beds ran out, the doctors and medics had to use what floor space was available. I had to watch my step as I tiptoed over the wounded soldiers. I passed over three before something grabbed my leg, forcing me to stop. Looking down, I saw a young man holding my calf with whatever strength he had left. His face was covered with an unhealthy sheen of sweat and his skin was as pale as snow. He was struggling to breathe, his blood poured critically out of his coughing mouth. He was dying, choking in his own blood from an internal injury. I wanted to lean down and try and comfort him somehow, but before I could, I was shoved out of the way by a medic. She checked him and looked over to a doctor nodding her head from side to side before leaving him. A few seconds later, two soldiers moved to grab his legs and they dragged him away. There was no effort to ease his suffering. He was dead already and only had to suffer through it as he was dragged away like wasting meat stuff fighting for his final breaths. His weak screams only bringing on more torment as he faded from life alone and abandoned. Takumi motioned me on once more as I waded through the slurry of blood, snot, piss and tears. Not a single bullet wound was present. Most of the casualties carried gruesome slashing injuries or hideous punctures. I passed three in-progress amputations in one room. The bellowing streams of pain practically pushing me on just to escape the sight. I also noticed that some bore strange burns, more like corrosive burns. These were the most grotesque as the victims were suffering from seizures with gaping holes through their bodies. Most of these were designated dead in arrival and dragged away screaming. Euthanasia wasn't a priority here and neither was decency. I had a growing suspicion that ammunition was considered too valuable to expend in these poor miserable souls. We exited the wards on this level in the stairwell and I was shamefully grateful for the brief quiet. I had to stop for a moment halfway up the stairs and thankfully Takumi allowed me at least that. Those are casualties from last night's attack. The ones that survived weren't taken away anyway. No fire caused the burns they suffered. Yeah, you're right. Ducks theorized something like the uh, creatures carry molecular acid for blood. Shoot one in the street and its blood is going to melt a few feet of concrete at least. It goes through steel like piss through toilet paper. And you saw what it does when it touches skin. Takami lit another cigarette and held it towards me. I'll admit, I was tempted. It was insanity. Part of me came to the conclusion that I could probably die here, but I was worried about how smoking would affect my health. I declined and he slouched down towards the wall opposite me. I always felt grateful for my health when I visited a hospital but nothing was wrong with me. Now, I just feel gilly. I lost a corporal once in the botanic fields when they were building the wall here. He was a decent kid. He dreams of honor and valor and all that. 
got impaled in the stomach by the tail of one of those things right here. He was dying already, but uh, the dragon hadn't finished. Pulled itself in with its tail. He unloaded his rifle at it. Filled it with more holes than you could count. Uh, covered his whole body with its blood and, uh, well, within a few seconds, he was gone. Nothing. No body, no armor. Nothing. Just... Just gone. Didn't even have the cords left to scream. <sighs> even with all the shouting and the gunfire, we could hear him melting away. Come on. The captain's this way. Takumi entered first, holding me arm's length in the doorway for a moment before we both entered. In contrast to all the ruin and squalor I had encountered since setting foot in Shanghai, the colonel's quarters were like what his office must have been back at whatever base he was originally from. Presentable, organised, civilised. An oasis of order amongst the depravity and chaos. Nothing seemed dishevelled or out of place, apart from a single bunk that was situated at the far end of the room. But even the bed was made perfectly to the highest standard of inspection. The captain himself was as clean as a whistle in his dress uniform, perfectly shaven. His face was surrounded by the steam arising from a freshly made coffee resting in his clean hands. The pistol resting beside him was in factory condition, like it had never been fired. At the time, I may not have liked Takumi, but at least I was finally beginning to understand why he and the other troops acted the way they did. You armed this civilian, Sergeant? Yes, sir. I saw it fitting regarding to his proximity to a possible contact. He's been instructed to turn it on himself in the event he is captured. As you say, Captain, one less body is one less enemy. The Captain stood up and faced the window leading to the balcony outside with his hands clasped behind his back. Thank you, Sergeant. That will be all. Wait outside and rest a moment. Yes, sir. I'd interviewed commanding officers before, and it never goes the same way twice. To order soldiers into death jaws requires a unique personality and strength of mind. For those that did it well, at least. But this was no ordinary situation, and this captain was clearly no ordinary officer. Neither of us spoke for those initial moments. We both shared whatever silence was possible among the, amongst the animalistic noises from the city's refugees outside. I decided to go first, but before I could even open my mouth, he cut me off. You'll have many questions. I can imagine a lot of them concern the way things have been handled in this grave situation. Even with my clothes saturated in dried blood and my memories filled with the horrors of what was happening here, I finally felt like I was in control for once. I was in familiar territory as the captain returned to his seat, and I was armed to the teeth with questions. Ask your questions, Mr. Crook, and I'll answer what I can. Is that fair enough? That's fair, sir. Captain, this place is an information black site. Speaking from what I've seen, no other nation has any idea whatsoever what's going on here. Why bring me? A British journalist here when your country's working so hard to conceal all of this. I had you smuggled here because I want an unbiased account of what's happening here. My government have seen it wise to conceal the nature of the threat to the international community. 
If my superiors find out you're here, I'll probably be executed for treason. Have you ever been in a siege, Mr. Crook? No. The last recorded siege was in LV-202, and that was a decade ago. Correct. Sieges are generally considered one of the most savage instances of warfare. It's as much about morale as it is about numbers and weaponry. One man succumbs to his fear during battle and runs. Fear spreads like the plague, and before you know it, there's no one to man the defenses. Lose the morale, and you've lost the siege. And make no mistake, Mr. Crook, we're under siege. If we fail here, the gates of Earth will open to these creatures, and no amount of nukes will stop them. They spread like the plague, so the seed of desertion has to be uprooted before it can spread. Morale is hard to upkeep when your men are murdering innocent civilians. You see my quarters in appearance, and you think I refuse to get my hands dirty. Wouldn't be the first time an officer hides behind his men. Do you have any children, David? No. I've never been lucky enough to find a woman that could deal with the nature of my work. I was very much the same for a time until luck found me and we had a son together. He was a good boy who followed in my footsteps and joined the military. He didn't have the same ambitions I did at his age. He merely wanted to serve. We were both sent here from leave, home from our current tours past the Outer Rim. His body is in that pyre you passed down the street. Sir, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have pressed you. No, you're doing what your profession requires and I'd expect no less. He was taken by the creatures while in the quarantine zone on patrol. Only a week or so ago. The days seemed to meld together here. Back then, we really didn't understand the nature of the enemy, and I thought I'd never see him again after he was taken. I was inconsolable that night, and against my wishes, I had to be sedated while my lieutenants took command of the section. That night, as I rested in a drug-induced sleep, we came under heavy attack. We nearly lost the wall. I woke up to my lieutenants dead and troops on the verge of panic. Carriers began to flow in with the refugees and quarantine was nearly broken before midday. With no system in place, we simply shot them at the gates, allowing access to no one. I knew what was coming, but I didn't dare breathe. It was clearly tearing this man's soul apart to retell this story. I already knew he was infected before the medic even checked him. He knew it too, but he ran all the way for a sense of control over his own death. He wanted my pistol to end his life. I couldn't allow him that dishonor, so I did the deed myself. I aimed at the base of his skull, and after a few seconds, I pulled the trigger. It was as much mercy as I could give him to feel no pain at the end. I looked towards the bed and realized the reason it was so tidy. It wasn't that he kept it that way. It was the poor bastard I had probably not slept for a full hour since sticking a bullet in the back of his son's skull. I'll never forget what I saw come out of that dead boy's chest. That serpentine abomination. Whatever these things were, they couldn't possibly be as terrifying as what they had forced these humans to become. 
these pitiful damned souls that were snackled to this wretched place. This living hell. I think that our conversation has run its course, Mr. Krug. I trust that you have recording equipment with you. You have my blessing to record everything you deem necessary. You'll be on the next supply flight that leaves the day after tomorrow. In the meantime, I'll leave you under the care of Sergeant Takumi. He'll look after you. He's always served me with distinction and honor, even here. That'll be all. Captain, for what it's worth, I'm truly sorry about your son. Thank you, Mr. Crew. But I'm grateful he didn't live long enough to become a monster. Did he mean the serpent of the men under his command? Takumi was waiting outside. The walls weren't thick. He'd heard everything. He didn't make a comment about the conversation with the captain as we took the same route back through the hospital. Navigating through the wards, I noticed that the number of wounded present had lowered. Jesus, as I sat upstairs conducting an interview, people had died right underneath my feet. It was a harrowing thought, but the captain wanted me to do my job, and that's what I was going to do. Finally, we left the building and the sun was beginning its descent back down towards the western horizon. The slow shadow would begin to come down on the wall as night fell. At the very least, that wasn't for another couple of hours. Now, Sivvy, you're going up here with me. It's a time you saw what remains of our great city. As we ascended the stairs of the wall, I couldn't help but notice my boots stuck to each step. The rubber soles tearing away from the stickiness of congealed blood. Welcome to Shanghai. My mind couldn't quite comprehend what greeted my eyes. As far as I could see, the scale of ruination and chaos seemed impossible. The city had suffered more than a disaster. It was a reckoning of apocalyptic proportions. It seemed fantastical at first, like a biblical nightmare. There was apparently nothing compared to the towering fires that raged the night it all began. The night the gatekeeper fell from the sky and the demons emerged to claim whoever survived. My eyes passed over empty streets and hollow buildings. Nothing stirred. I couldn't see any movement whatsoever. The city looked to be a dead carcass. Its citizens, its wealth and its industry consumed. Stripped bears leaving only the broken bones of memory. But the soldiers were soon quick to remind me that inside the honeycomb of shattered skyscrapers, nestled in these crumbling ruins, the dragons were lying in wait. Despite all the aged memories of slaughter, the wall was as silent as the grave. No shots were being fired, no radio chatter struggled to breathe above the noises of war. Even the soldiers themselves were whispering to each other, their weapons never outside of their arms reach and their eyes constantly watching the dead city like living gargoyles. No space was taken for granted either. We placed weapons and troops lined the battlements for miles in both directions. As well as their rifles and light machine guns, the defenders were armed with some serious artillery. Sequentially positioned along the path were 60 caliber heavy machine guns as well as massive recoilless rifles. 
The infantryman's equivalent of a tank can. Base behind us and ground level were mortar emplacements, each one flanked by enough ammunition to decimate a battalion. Yeah, I know. In any other situation, it'd be suicide to attack this position. No matter how many times we push them back, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. Look at us the zoom on that camera of yours. Good enough. Why? As the words left my mouth, I could hear a constant, low, rumbling traveling behind us from the west. Second by second it grew, and before I could turn to see the source, the shot was. The noise was near deafening at first, a resonating force that smacked against my body. It felt like my organs had just been punched by a ghost. The ship screamed low across the skies over the city, forcing huge dust clouds from its wake across the silent city. But that wasn't the movement that caught my eye. Zoom in as far to the interior as you can. Do it quickly. There's so many of them. Section 8 is clear. Go for prep. Got a few hours until nightfall, so get ready. What happens at nightfall? They're gonna try for us all. Bastards always do the moment the sun goes down. Like clockwork. You're not going to be able to see him right now, but trust me, they're watching. Some of them will be nestled somewhere safe and high, watching the wall. I'm just waiting patiently for the sun to disappear. Do me a favor and give me some peace. There was no way in hell I could even think of rest. I tried once. Leaning with my back to the city, watching the sun's slow descent towards the horizon beyond. Yet the constant trembling around my body wouldn't leave me. I didn't know what to expect once the night came. But the anxiety that racked my body like a sickness, constantly throwing predictive imaginings of my death at me. One after another, my tired, tired mind was being smacked jab after jab as under assault by some psychic pugilist. I couldn't sit around any longer and decided to walk along the wall. Most of the soldiers I passed were wearing those same intimidating gas masks that the burners wore. I stopped occasionally to see if they'd answer any questions, but most of them just brushed me away as if it was nothing more than an annoying insect. Thankfully, though, a few did decide to talk to me. Each conversation, I could see their eyes through the glass lenses shift towards the descending sun. It was as if they were watching the hourglass sand run low on their own survival. I found out that this was warranted. Most of these soldiers were reinforcements. Only a handful of survivors from the first nights remained. I tried to broach the subject, the, the way the refugees were treated to the longest surviving soldiers I interviewed. Even fewer were willing to talk about that, and those who did spoke with what they seemed like a forced indifference. It wasn't that they didn't care. It was more like they couldn't afford to. Then I asked about the creatures, the attacks on the wall. 
Every soldier when asked would physically shudder as their minds recalled the nights they'd survived. They described black skeletal dragons bigger than any man, moving like lightning possessed, teeming hordes of teeth and claws. They apparently had no fear of charging even directly into enemy fire. One soldier described the night they'd breached the wall at Section 7. The soldiers that were garrisoned there were forced to retreat into the buildings behind them and fight in close quarters at the surrounding area was fireborne clean. Reports from all sections had said that the moment Section 7 was breached, the creatures diverted their attacks from all other areas of the wall and flooded towards the breach. What I noticed while interviewing all these soldiers was that the pens below me were deathly quiet. Gazing down, I could see them in each enclosure, huddled near the front as a single figure walked among them, dressed in a long trench coat. One by one, he passed each pen and a multitude of arms reached out to touch him. He cried out in a crazed joy as he reciprocated the gesture. The soldier beside me said that this man was the priest. Takumi had told me about earlier. Curiosity to get a better of me and I pushed towards the nearest set of stairs. I wanted to get down there and talk to this mysterious individual. A few minutes later I caught up to him and called out for his attention. Being this close to the pens, the smell was stifling. But I was too focused for my stomach to make another effort to throw more bile out. May I help you, brother? I wanted to talk to you, ask you a couple of questions if I could. Surely this must be a mistake, for I have been speaking since all this began, and only these chosen poor have listened. Why are you still here? These masked heretics allow me my own will, because I keep their bait docile. My reasons for staying are my own. Why do you call them heretics? These soldiers are the only thing keeping these things back. They are simply delaying the inevitable. The angels are here and those pathetic cowards are delaying the ascension. Too afraid to accept their precious gift. The angels have chosen us to receive their seed so that we may join them. They will not stop until they have claimed the chosen and cut away the diseased wicked until there is nothing more than ravaged husks. We worship them. And so should you. But I can see that you haven't yet witnessed their magnificence. Don't worry, you will. Now, leave me to pray with these helpless vessels, Inquisitor. The sun is dying for today, and the angels will be arriving soon. He was right. The street we resided in was flooded with shadow. The sunset was closing fast. Wait, wait a minute. You're sharp. Is that a Wheeling Gitani logo? What's a Wheeling employee doing here? Contact! They're moving! I ran as fast as I could back to where I left the sergeant. Didn't recognize him at first. Everyone was now wearing those menacing gas masks. Takumi was now manning and replaced heavy machine gun. The sun behind us was diving towards the horizon at a slow but dread-inducing speed, faintly seeding us one last time with its vermilion rays as the dying days slowly followed behind. 
Glancing over the parapet, the ruined towers of Shanghai were slowly consumed by shadows. Dark clouds chased the light down like a dog in a hunt. Flashes of light appeared in the blackened distance as a lightning storm blows down the side from the sea. What the hell are they still doing out there? You guys better hurry the fuck up! Salvation is upon us. The angels are coming and immortality awaits those who are willing to go with a glad heart. Fucking sick of that cunt. Chang! Shut him up! I turned my eyes to the city and I saw the enemy. It first it looked like a black tide of water, pouring over every, every obstacle in its path. Squeezing through every gap, this was until the heavens above was unleashed their fury and arcs of white lightning hammered down all around. Each flash illuminated an infinite horde of swirling ebony. A mass of eyeless meat behind us moving as a singular hateful force towards us all. I probably would have pissed myself if I had any left in me. Someone brushed against my back and I turned to see one man scrambling towards the stairs. Wow. Me shot the deserter with his pistol before he reached the third step. You better get down there, Sibby. This is no place for you. I'm staying. Stay close to me. It was the captain. His immaculate uniform drenched. His medals for valor hidden underneath an armored vest. His clean hands and a clutch and a loaded rifle. Sergeant, they're throwing everything they have at us. Something about this felt final. The soldiers all knew something I didn't. Every attack before this was merely a probe of the defences. These things weren't animals. There was a cunning intelligence behind their primal savagery. I don't know about all of you, but I'm not willing to go with a glad heart just fucking yet. How about you? I know you're afraid. Hell, I'm afraid. We're all gonna die one day, but it's what we do here tonight! That's what really counts! Hold this wall until your last breath, brothers and sisters! Let's greet death with a smile! And let's send these demons fucked back to the hell they came from! Fire! Constant waves of gunfire, I could hear the agonizing screams of the dying creatures. They were fallen by their hundreds. Then the recoilless rifles began unloading on the dragons. Every shot fired sent tremors through the wall that rumbled upon under my boots. The constant barries continued for, for what seemed like an age. And it was only a handful of minutes. By the sounds of it, the overlapping waves and suppressive fire was slowing down. Almost on cue, black figures braved the flames of the napalm trap that leapt through the barrier of fire. I felt useless just standing there, so I followed the others downstairs. I took 
captured one last glance at Captain and Takumi. The Captain's rank didn't matter anymore. He was just another gun holding back the horrors. Everyone was equal in the face of impending death. Running down the stairs, I leapt over the body of the deserter at the last few steps. I didn't feel pity for him. If anything else, it was just another obstacle. I caught up to the reservists quickly as they had been busy bunching in themselves with more ammo. Glancing over the parapet, I saw the wall of flame that carried on for at least a mile that was beginning to thin out. The dragons in their hauntingly thin silhouettes leapt through the fire in their droves and were met with a vicious volley of rounds. The fire was dying. The bodies of the devil began to pile on top of the flames, extinguishing creating gaps with the tide of onyx fiends that poured through. After two more runs, I was getting the hang of it, but with each trip up to the wall, I could see the tempest of monsters gain more ground as my legs grew even more tired. My lungs were aflame. I stopped for a split second and realised that metre by metre they were getting closer. In an effort to repel them, the soldiers began using incinerators, shooting streams of ravenous liquid fire down at the creatures that hadn't already scaled the walls. It wasn't nearly enough to stop them all, though. Not any more than a few feet from me emerged a trio of the dragons as they scaled the parapet. Like living heat-seeking missiles, they closed in and fighting men, towering over them before they grabbed them, snatching them away like they were little more than children. The soldiers screamed helplessly and the creatures carrying them crawled back, carrying their bounty over, the, over into the throng below. Something hammered into my head like a baseball bat, knocking me to the ground. My eyes finally focused on the long tail of dark sickening and bone ending with a sickening bar that filled my sight. An incinerator clattered beside me as I saw the beast standing tall and triumph over me. Some twisted sense of luck with me at that moment as the thing from another plane of existence chose another helpless soul with dimming embrace. Weakness overcame my body as their burning forms seared into my eyes. Like a dwindling candle, their flames grew dimmer and extinguished as my vision faded to black. I must have laid there all night. My body felt weightless and I opened my eyes as my body was tossed into the building round of last night's dead. Two carrying me must have assumed I was dead. And I paused before screaming at them. I must have been going insane. I could feel the heat of the sun on my skin and I could hear cheering. I made my way back to the top of the wall. It's burned pothole floor and I painted red. You survived the night. Sergeant Takumi. The captain was good enough to walk me to the body. Slumped to the side of the machine gun placement he'd held all night. 
the end of one of these sickening tails speared directly in his chest through the body armor, pinning him against the ammo box behind him. He held this section most of the night. Wish it was me that had died instead of him. History may not remember him, but we all will. Screeching sounds came from the sky, and we looked to see the warship spitting out a flight of personnel carriers. Each one flying in different directions of the war. There couldn't have been any more than 20, but everyone cheered like it was an entire fleet. The sun finally breached the horizon, the glorious heat piercing every one of us who thought we'd never see the beauty again. The ship above us was also illuminated as a light streaked across an American colonial marine destroyer with a raven painted across the rear. This siege was nearly the beginning. The seed had already been planted in our home world and we'd let it flower in this doomed metropolis. Like a cancer, it would spread across continents, bringing forth pestilence, agony and destruction until our home was turned into nothing more than memory and ashes. <laughs>